Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 29th, 2011. For newcomers, as always, I advise you to use the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios for a free download there. And hopefully you'll understand the big system that runs the world and, and all the illusions that it controls beneath it, including politics and how we're kept really in a matrix-type system of reality. They've actually said that at the top. We give you your reality, and when we change it, you all talk about it, and then we change it again, and you follow it. They've actually said this from the top, the guys who run presidents. So anyway, help yourself to the audios, and you'll find out, as I say, shortcuts to, hopefully, to this big system that runs the world, where they're going, uh, why everything's happening the way it is. And uh, unfortunately, we're the we're the cannon for the cause, the cannon fodder generation that must go through all these changes in in this century of changes, as they call it. And when you look up cuttingthroughthematrix.com, you'll find a whole bunch of sites there. They all carry audios and transcripts as well for print stuff in English. Go into Alan Watt Sentinel EU for transcripts in other languages. Remember too, you bring me to you, and uh, I don't bring on sponsors or. Advertisers as guests, and I don't have shares in any companies. I'm not selling anything here except the books I've got. So you can help me out by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember a personal check is good, as is a postal money order from the post office, an international postal money order. Same price as an ordinary one. You can also use PayPal. Some people send cash. And across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram. And once again, PayPal and straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome. But as I say, we are, we are the cannon fodder. That's been said by uh, Rockefeller and Rothschild in different uh, talks they gave. Uh, and we are, it actually, one of them actually said that you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. And that's how he's referring to what they call this, this new uh, technocratic society they've been planning and, and actually working into existence for about 50 years or so where experts rule, and you'll notice that too, uh, experts rule ab- above everything. You, you have maybe 500 lawyers working on a federal government uh, just to put out one omnibus bill, and the, the politicians never even read them because there's thousands of pages in there. So really, uh, you're already run by specialist groups who know what they contain and what it's all about and what the real reasons for the various uh, wording happens to be. And that goes across the board in every other uh, area as well, right down to schooling. So we're trained, uh, and big players in the past, I might touch on some of them tonight, talked about this training and the reality we would have and how they would alter that reality for each stage of the upgrade as we're all upgraded into austerity, globalism, uh, the redistribution of wealth. The communist plank of the manifesto, of course, was redistribution of wealth. It's been done so slickly and easily now. It's in the open. It's in the mainstream. And nobody mentions communism except on talk radio, uh, such as this one here at RBM. It's just amazing that, isn't it? Right out there, but because people are so ignorant now, 
they, they don't even know that's one of the major planks of the Communist Manifesto. So as you get taxed out of existence and taxed into the ground, uh, tax for your grave and, and tax for, for the for the rental of the plot, uh, you'll you'll find that it gets worse and worse and worse as we go on and on because we're supposed to plummet as a post-consumerist society. And obviously, if all your cash is going in fees and and fines and uh, uh, value-added taxes, which must must hit the states, that's what the cap and trade was all about. By the way, it's a, a form of value-added tax. Uh, that was made, made uh, specific at the Royal Institute of International Affairs that every country under free trade must adopt value-added tax. doesn't matter what they call it. So they decided on cap and trade for the U.S. And they're really furious that that stuff was leaked out by WikiLeaks uh, to do with the fake global warming and all the rest of it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, as I say, this time of year, of course, as we come to the close of this year, and watch all the hype getting on uh, television, of course, and through regular media about the, all the Mayan prophecies, oh my God, and all this nonsense, and, and the sucker that people, we love these stories, or really, don't we, it's, it's kind of like stuff you drift off to sleep with, and oh, your imagination goes, goes a riot, uh, apparently Nostradamus has made a comeback too, they're putting everybody in there. And uh, it's interesting that even the, the intelligence services have used Nostradamus before, many times before. World War II, Hitler used it for Poland. He dropped thousands of leaflets trying to explain that this is why Germany would eventually rule them psychological warfare, where Britain hired uh, another specialist in the area, and he reinterpreted the uh, Nostradamus uh, quatrains and that said that, oh, Germany would be defeated, etc., and, and you get all these different animal symbols, all the animals, the flag symbols that would come against them and, and defeat them. And so they've used this before, and I thought it awfully interesting, the New Age is using them now on mainstream television uh, to, to, again, make people think something really uh, amazing is going to happen this year. Uh, amazing things always happen. It's just that we're too stunned to believe that they really happened. Uh, but uh, it's quite interesting, as I say, to see psychological warfare being used on every front that there is. Because, you see, if you think it's all true, then there's no point in doing anything. Just sit back and let it happen. You can't change it if it's fate, right? That's how it works. But we're watching, as I say, the end of a phase of the world government towards world government. And you've got to go back, remember, uh, to e- before even... Uh, the League of Nations, then to the League of Nations, then the United Nations, then the signing of the Charter of the United Nations, then the World War II. And every country signed on board, really, to, to go into a, a global government system. Every single representative did that. And um, there was one good book put out by a guy who attended the meeting in San Francisco, and he worked along with Alger Hiss on drafting up the charter. Uh, they're all communists, of course. And he, this, well, this Canadian admits he was a communist too. And he worked with, uh, with uh, a guy who also became Prime Minister of Canada for a while, who was also there. But uh, they made no bones about it at the time. This was for world government. Again, a specialized type of government, the idealized Soviet system. And 
the, the banks were all on board with it and everything else because they don't care, you know, which side that they've created both sides anyway, so they don't care which side appears to be running that for a hundred years or so. They'll manage them and profit all, all the way. So it's interesting to see us come to this stage, as I say, 2012, when uh, even when they, they give releases in major media about integrations of continents like NAFTA going further and further and we're sharing all our information, we're even sharing certain taxes now and import duties, things like that, uh, and all intelligence services. Cops can, can, can come right into Canada and they're wearing their guns from the U.S. and vice versa. Uh, they still say, well, well, no, we still have indiv- individual countries and we go through this nonsense. And, and that's all it is in the meantime. They'll get what they want because they got it with Europe. And look at the mess of Europe. They, you know, they, they'd rather everyone starve to death than admit that they were wrong it's not going to work. That's, that's what the fanatics do, you see. But they will go ahead the same way in, in America. And, of course, we're all funding uh, from Canada, U.S., and other countries, we're, we're still funding the up-and-coming countries, the ones that have decided, the high chutzpahs at the United Nations decided were to come up and be part of industrialized societies uh, like, like China. We're still funding China for hospitals and things. They're still classed as a third-world country. And they can keep claiming money from us for all kinds of things for another 20 years or so if they want to. And now it's the same with India and some Latin American countries as well. And you think that's all fair. Well, it's all your cash money that's building it up for private corporations to own. And no one, no one says anything about it. But you know, the bankers, as I say, have been behind this for an awful, awful long time. Tremendous, powerful system, the bankers, the private banking system. Totally corrupt. It's actually a special interest group in reality. That's what it really is. It's a particular special interest group. And, uh, They've been running this game for centuries. They know how to get wars going, how to take over countries, how to get their bids in before the wars are finished for whatever they're after in that country, and they always get what they want. Now, everyone I'm sure who's listened to alternate radio knows the history of the Federal Reserve, and if you haven't, you should read the books that are out there on it. uh, Jekyll Island is one of them. There's also the one put out, the biography by Colonel Mandel House. Excellent book to read because he was really behind it too. He ran President Wilson. He was the man who ran the puppet Wilson. And, um, and Mandel House, uh, also was a member of the British Society, the Royal Institute of International Affairs at that time, and the Milner Society. Uh, he worked with Lord Grey, who drafted up everything for America for many, many years including the Federal Reserve System that they wanted to get in place. And Lord Rothschild was part of that group as well. So read Colonel Mandel House's uh, diary if you're really interested. Now, where was I going with this? Okay, this article here is Audit of the Federal Reserve reveals $16 trillion in secret bailouts. Now, there'll be way more than that because they knew it was going to come, this, this audit. So they always fudge figures. And since the first ever uh, governmental accountability office audit of the Federal Reserve was carried out in the past few months due to the Ron Paul, Alan Grayson and amendment to the Dodd-Frank bill, which passed last year, Jim DeMintz, a Republican senator, and Bernie Sanders, an independent senator, led the charge for a Federal Reserve audit in the Senate, but watered down the original language of the House uh, bill, which was H.R. 1207, so that a complete audit would not be carried out. So it's not a complete audit, right? 
Ben Bernanke, the man with the banky, I love that name, eh? Pictured to the left, uh, Audi Greenspan and various other bankers, vehemently opposed the audit and lied to Congress about the effects an audit would have on markets. Nevertheless, the results of the first audit in the Federal Reserve nearly 100-year history were posted uh, on Senator Sanders' webpage earlier this morning. And I'll put up this link at the end of the broadcast tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can read up the, the actual link itself from Senator uh, uh, Sanders. It says, what was revealed in the audit was startling. $16 trillion had been secretly given out to U.S. banks and corporations and foreign banks everywhere from France to Scotland. From the period between December 2007 and June 2010, the Federal Reserve had secretly bailed out many of the world's banks. Now, these are all private banks, too and a lot of centralized banking systems. They're, banking, they're, they're bailing out their pals. They're all central banks, privately owned, and, and, but they're, con- they're connected. They've always been connected together, but they're split by a special interest group. So it says, um, the Federal Reserve uh, likes to refer to these secret bailouts as a, an all-inclusive loan program, but virtually none of the money has been returned, and it was loaned out at 0% interest. Well, that's what you do for your friends, eh? Why the Federal Reserve had never been public about this or even informed the United States Congress about the $16 trillion bailout is obvious. The American public would have been outraged to find out that the Federal Reserve bailed out foreign banks while Americans were struggling to find jobs and, I should say, losing all their houses too. To place $16 trillion into perspective, remember that the GDP of the United States is only $14.12 trillion. The entire national debt of the United States government spanning its 200-plus year history is only $14.5 trillion. The budget that is being debated so heavily in Congress and the Senate is only $3.5 trillion. Take all of the outrage and debate over the $1.5 trillion deficit into consideration and swallow this red pill. There was no debate about whether $16 trillion would be given to failing banks and failing corporations around the world. In late 2008, the TARP bill was passed and loans of $800 billion were given to filling banks and companies. There was a blatant lie concerning the, the fact that Goldman Sachs alone receives $814 billion. So it turns out the Federal Reserve donated $2.5 trillion to Citigroup, while Morgan Stanley received $2.4 trillion. The Royal Bank of Scotland, which is owned by the government of England, 80% actually, and Deutsche Bank, a German bank split about a trillion, and numerous other banks received hefty chunks of the $16 trillion. So that's why you, that's why you pay taxes, you understand. You pay taxes supposedly so that the, the government gives back to the people vital services and things. That's, that's, that was the, that's what they claimed initially. But no, it's, it, they help out each other, that's what it is, because it's a big club, you see, or a special interest group, as I say, the central banking scam. So... It says when you have conservative Republican stewards like uh, Jim DeMint and Ron Paul, as well as self-identified Democratic Socialists like Bernie Sanders, all fighting against the Federal Reserve, you know that it's no longer an issue of right versus left. When you have every single member of the Republican Party in Congress and progressive cons- uh, congressmen like Dennis uh, Kucinich sponsoring a bill to audit the Federal Reserve, you realize the Fed Reserve is an ent- entity unto itself which has no oversight and no accountability. And, and they're right about that because you understand what, what it is and who runs it. Now, why is it always the same, the same special interest group that runs it? Why is that? Hmm? 
Why, why is it when they, when they do go into an inquiry, they, they actually say, as you've heard this year, in fact, that uh, they're doing God's work. What God is this? What's God got to do with cash? Unless you understand the particular God they're talking about. But they're quite serious about it. It's not a sneer. It's amazing the things that they come across and we hear them and we don't really, t- we don't really take them in because it makes no sense to most folk at the time. So we dismiss it. These guys don't uh, see a darn thing without uh, very good intention. But anyway, that's the, the sort of thing that's, and it's still going on, of course, you just keep dutching out trillions for more and more and more forevermore. It says the list of institutions that received the most money from the Federal Reserve can be found on page 131 of the GAO audit and are as follows. And it gives you a whole list of the countries. Even Switzerland was, was getting bailouts. And Credit Suisse as well. My God, everybody's in there. So list of who's who. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And another link I'll put up tonight is to, uh, it's from the Canadian government on the perimeter security and economic uh, competitive, competitiveness, it's called, uh, meeting that they had. It's all the stuff that came out of this. They've had umpteen names for it. They've had security and peace and prosperity partnerships. And these are all laws that are put into effect, you know, and they don't get taken off when the expunge come out. They just stay there. And then when you, the cumulatively, you've got an integrated governmental system for both countries, Canada, States, and Mexico. Anyway, it says perimeter security and economic competitiveness now. This is the latest one. And that's not really interesting, that part. The part is when you get into to the, the rest of the, the action plan, as it says. And there's lots of links on this pilot projects and privacy, security, economy, jobs, growth, which is a free trade of goods and people, supposedly, or labor, I should say. What the action plan will deliver to Canadian taxpayers a massive debt. We know that one. You have to look that one up. And it's got lots and lots and lots of links, uh, how they're going to implement the joint action plan, um, the different organizations, these these new governmental technocratic agencies have set up to deal with it all, you see, which eventually becomes your new government, in fact. And um, and there's lots of them. Agriculture, food, everything's involved here, and um, what it means for you and everyone else. It goes on and on. It's just a huge thing. But um, I'll give you the links for that one. And also, there's another one called, uh, it's, it's the, the Joint Action Plan for the Canada, Canada United States Regulatory Cooperation Council. So we've got a regulatory cooperation council as well. He's in another part of this intermediate government, the one between them. And, uh, that stacks of links here as well. It covers everything, uh, marine, uh, agriculture, marketing, all food, uh, travel, transportation. Health, everything is just, just just a new type of government, you see, and eventually the, the old governments just will fade away, just 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 you know just just fade off it and fall apart, and this is left there like a brand new a brand new building. That's how they do it. That's how they did it in Europe. Same idea as that. Then you got all these different agencies that created, they just joined together, and that was the new government. That was that's how it was done. 
We all live through it, of course, because most folk uh, don't know about it, and the mainstream don't get it, give it any, well, talk at all, basically. They give you a one-liner, and that's it. So, everything goes ahead as planned, because they're in a, 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 a real rush now, you see. And as, as we go through these changes, the things will get mad. Things already have gotten mad, as you well know, and, and stupid and crazy with the, the TSA and, and the states and, and, and all these laws about what you can take with you, what you can't take with you if you're crossing a border. And they've got it across the whole world now. It's just madness across the world because now you've got all bureaucracies, a whole bunch again, a new type of government of bureaucracies and, and bureaucrats making new laws themselves and, and just ramming it through. There's no discussion in any parliament about it. And this guy, this is quite a funny one in a sense, but it's from Britain. It tells you how silly it is. Sorry, sir, your pot of plum jam is a terror risk. Uh, the food writer's right guy who writes about food, he's a columnist, uh, was banned from taking homemade conserves with him on the plane. He was visiting Ireland to try and help small rural producers boost exports of their produce. But British food and drink expert James Crowden found himself in a sticky situation at Dublin Airport when security confiscated pots of homemade jam from his hand luggage. I mean, it's just so ridiculous, isn't it? And the irony was not lost in the award-winning author. It was like a situation in Flan O'Brien's story he told the Irish Daily Mail yesterday, referring to a series of satirical Irish novels. I was over to help uh, small rural producers, and I couldn't get out of the country with the stuff myself. <laughs> so how are they going to export this stuff, eh? He couldn't get it out of the country himself. It was ironic at the very least. Mr. Crowden had been invited by Bordbia to speak to apple growers and cider producers in Drogda about the future of artisan cider making. He then visited Grenard, County Longford, where he had his ancestral roots and purchased some jam. Uh, I was in the Gravel Arms. I bought three jars of jam, apricot, plum and blackberry. They were going to be a present from my father, who himself is a very good jam maker, he says. It costs £2.10 each. That's, that's kind of expensive, but everything's expensive over there now. When he tried to leave the country the next day, his hand luggage was searched by security, who seized the jam, which was in charge larger than regulations allow. I mean, this is a bureaucracy gone mad, you understand. This is just silliness and stupidity. How did we ever function before? You ever wondered about that? Before 9-11 and all that? We got by pretty good, didn't we? According to Dublin Airport Authority website, only liquids in containers of 100 mil or less fitting comfortably into a one-liter transparent plastic bag, which is approximately 20 centimeters when fully closed, are permitted. So Mr. Crowden said, all I was told was that the container was wrong. I was surprised because the jam was very solid. So they classify as a liquid, even though it's obviously a, a, a solid, it's a jam, you know. Anyway, this, what they, the claim that the authorities say is a claim that all the stuff they confiscate, they put up at auction uh, every year, and well, who knows where it will go to. Um, they'll probably say a charity or something. But this is a kind of silliness and stupidity. You, you get it, Canada, too, crossing the border into the States and vice versa. Just, just madness. As I say, uh, how did we ever survive before all this incredibly expensive nonsense? of security, security, x-rays and cancers from them and all that. Hmm? And another article too is it's called... Um, oh, as I should do, I'll get back on this one after this break. The music's coming in now, so we'll be back in a minute or two. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. Uh, this is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. Now, everyone knows of Richard Haas, who is the head of the Council on Foreign Relations for the U.S. and much of the world, in fact, and how they are simply the big branch belonging to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which came out of the Milner Group, which planned this whole world society in the first place. They, they set up the wars. They have experts in everything. They work with intelligence agencies. Many of them are in intelligence agencies, in fact, uh, and many of the intelligence agencies are recruited from the CFR uh, in the U.S. So uh, it's all one big happy family as they do their geopolitics across the world. But Haas was on uh, in an interview on ABC News with Mr. Amanpour, and uh, Amanpour is putting up the cheers and the ha-ha and rah-rah stuff that the Arab Spring was successful and, and gone under the autocratic regimes in the Muslim world and stuff like that. And Mubarak's been deposed, and Gaddafi is dead. And what's sprouting, he says, is democracy, but also considerable uncertainty for the U.S. And that's where we begin our discussion today. Joining me at the table are Richard Haas, President of the Council on Foreign Relations, and Robert Wright, Senior Fellow of the U.S. Institute for Peace, and author of the new book, Rock the Casbah, Rage and Rebellion Across the Islamic World. This is all done by the West, the Western powers. Mr. Haas knows this because he's part of it. So he asks, if, if Haas agrees with it, and Haas says this, he says, well, potentially, and so I disagree with two things you say, you said, if I might. The first is I wouldn't use the phrase Arab Spring. Uh, springs last for three months. This is going to last for three decades. Springs are good. This may not be. It's going to last for 30-odd years before they get a glimmering of democracy. That, that's, that'll be with all the internal fighting They'll be fed by the West. The U.S. and Britain will keep them fighting each other now for 30 years. That they're completely dysfunctional, in other words. And they can get robbed blind. The, the little gang leaders come up and, and they'll uh, look after the oil fields for the biggest companies. Uh, but the people themselves get robbed blind. And that's exactly the, the, the system that Brzezinski said that he would like to see across that whole region uh, keep them fighting forever. And then of no consequence whatsoever. So here's Haas agreeing with that. It's going to be at least 30 years before there's any beginning or glimmer of the start of a democracy. He's just saying that I don't think it's fair to say democracy is sprouting. What we've seen is the overthrow of some authoritarian regimes. We don't have the basics of democracy. We don't have civil society. We don't have constitutionalism. We don't have checks and balances. We'll only know if we have democracy again years, if not decades, forward. So uh, that's how it really is. That's the plan, folks. And uh, that's really what it's all about, uh, keeping them dysfunctional in those countries forever. These, these were countries that were, had big modern cities and everything, you know, and uh, universities. And uh, Libya, in Libya, everybody got to go to the university for free. And uh, when you got married, you were given a home to rent free and everything else. I mean, they truly were the epitome of the true socialist society. And all the cash from the oil was, was a lot of it was most of it was going back to the people in one way or another. But again, too, it's not good for the big oil boys. They want to own. They want the stuff for nothing. A gift. They want to, the military go in and give hand them a gift of uh, so many oil fields and and the big water projects too. Don't forget that. That's the real reality of the world that we live in. But folk don't want to talk about that. 
But as you say, that ties in with Brzezinski's long-range plan uh, for that whole region. Keep them fighting, uh, keep supplying arms to different uh, little gang members and keep them fighting forever uh, while you just plunder the oil and everything else uh, that they have. And get it awfully cheap too. And then you find this wonderful Council on Foreign Relations again that puts out their own magazine called Foreign Affairs. Everybody, every author is a member of the CFR. And uh, in fact, any major author of anything, uh, any book uh, to do with world affairs, military affairs, whatever, is always a member of the Council on Foreign Relations folks. I'm not kidding about that. I might put up that list again of all their experts that they have that advise all governments across the planet. And here's what they had in their foreign affairs magazine. It's time to attack Iran. Who, 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 who the hell are they to say we should go and attack Iran? Did you elect these guys in, this private organization? No. This is opponents of military action against Iran assume a U.S. strike would be far more dangerous than simply letting Tehran build the bomb. Not so argues the former Pentagon defense minister or planner, I should say. With a carefully designed attack, Washington could mitigate the costs and spare the region and the world from an unacceptable threat. Well, why did they let India get the bomb? Why did they let China get the bomb? Why did they let Pakistan get the bomb? So why can't Iran get the bomb? We know that, though, don't we? we? We all know that, where it's situated and all the rest of it. Plus, they must annihilate the, the remnant of the one lasting religion there is, uh, apart from the other one that's still there, but they've got to eliminate the threat. Albert, Albert Pike talked about this a long time ago. It says, Matthew Kronig uh, uh, is a Stanton Nuclear Security Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and the author of Exporting the Bomb, Technology Transfer and the Spread of Nuclear Weapons. From July 2010 July 2011, he was a special advisor in the office of the U.S. Secretary of Defense, responsible for defense strategy and policy on Iran. So there you are. This private group puts their guys into bureaucratic positions across the planet and into top jobs. All across, just like Carl Quigley said in his book, Tragedy and Hope, in the, American, the Anglo-American establishment, he, he, he was their historian for this group. He says, that's what we do. We put our guys all through governments. All presidents and prime ministers have been our boys for a hundred years. This is in early October, U.S. officials accused Iranian operators of planning to assassinate Saudi Arabia's ambassador to the U.S. This is, this is fake, too. Yeah. Iran denied the charges, but the episode has already managed to increase tensions between Washington and Tehran. That was get the propaganda going, demonize the enemy, uh, set up some ridiculous situation. And we've seen this so often that you take notice of, no notice of them at all. So anyway, uh, they just want an excuse to finish it off. And of course, even Israel is saying the same thing. Finish them off, Syria and Iran, get, get the job done. And, and, and that's really what it's about. The Council on Foreign Relations. You see, I would never vote anybody in that was a member of any society uh, that was semi-secret, as like they call themselves, whether it's Freemasonry or, or CFR who are globalists. They want a world government, again, authoritarian world government. They work with the Club of Rome. They all work together. They work with the bankers because, remember, too, one of their, their inner function is as top bankers. They're part of the inner temple of the CFR, the world bankers. Milner and, and all his boys who started it off were bankers, international moneylenders, donations. Another article, too.
to do with more than half of Twitter and Facebook users risk jail every day. This is them getting you conditioned to start to be wary of the net now. So you start to train yourself. In other words, train yourself not to do what you used to do. That's that's what they're really telling you here. More than two-thirds would upload copyright material. More than half couldn't identify a defamatory statement. A third were unaware that organizing uh, looting via Facebook or Twitter was illegal. It says tweeting and posting messages on Facebook are part of many people's daily routine, but more than half of users risk possibly lengthy jail sentences by not understanding how the law affects them when they're online. I've said this for years. They'll give you the darn thing, put lots of porn on it to make sure everybody got into it, and that's really how it works. Yeah, most folk knew nothing about the Internet except there's lots of porn. The mainstream media kept telling you, oh, there's lots of porn. And once everybody was hooked on it, then in would come the mainstream media onto there as well. And then when they took away all the, the dissenting voices uh, that were giving you alternate news, you'd be left with, uh, you still have the porn, maybe, I don't know, but you'd be left with mainstream and, and, and laws and regulations. But because you're already hooked on it, you see, you won't change your ways and just toss out the window. So it says, a study by online advice site, uh, uh, knowthenet.org, found that a worrying number of young people had no idea what they, they're, they, while they're online, they could be breaking copyright and privacy laws, making defamatory remarks, or even inciting riots. The survey comes after two people were jailed for a year, four years, each for attempting to incite a riot on Facebook this summer. I think that was in Scotland, actually. Jordan Blackshaw and Perry Sutcliffe Keenan from Cheshire received. Yeah, well, there was two guys in Scotland as well. Got the same sort of thing. So you, you can't just say, oh, let's go and loot or let's join the rioters or uh, that's called inciting uh, rioting. So uh, really, um, they're training you now to, to be wary. Most folk wouldn't be wary at all, mind you. That uh, They're so brainwashed with it. And one place I would love to have been uh, when this happened was it says the Vatican throws light on its history as it opens its secret archives. Now, I've seen documentaries on this over the years, and they've always shown these long rows of pigeonholes, uh, corridors going on forever, it seems, with scrolls in it and uh, with, the, with the, the wax seals on them still unbroken often from the 1500s and kings and queens. And when things were really happening and wars were really happening, and so they were getting it firsthand from the people at the top of all countries, as opposed to what we get in history books. So I guess they'll never really ever give us much of a, a show of, of what this stuff really contains. But we must always get the fake version of history, you see. It says, as a confidential correspondence of popes, princes, and potentates, the Vatican's secret archives have been jealously guarded for centuries. And it shows you some of them, some of the, the, the scrolls there. The papers are kept on 50 miles, 50 miles of shelves, eh, at the Vatican. Oh, I'd love to get lost in there for the rest of my life. Uh, it says they relate to Henry VIII, Galileo, Martin Luther, amongst others. And priceless documents span more than a, a millennium, a thousand years. Etruscan, I can show you some of the statues they have too. They've got an incredible, incredible museum there. They're even opening up parts of the Vatican that were closed for hundreds of years and just stacked with all these gifts that they got over the years from different countries. All, all this wonderful uh, stuff that they were given. Uh, Etruscan bronze statues, stuff like that. After, of course, the, the Etruscans were there long before the Vatican Church. Anyway, it says that by now 100 of the most historically significant documents held by the Vatican secret archives are to go on public display in Rome, so they'll be very tame, I'm sure. The first and probably the last time that they will leave the buttressed stone walls of the tiny city-state. 
And what did they give you? The usual stuff that's kind of popular. Uh, something about the Knights Templar, Galileo, Martin Luther, Henry VIII, and so on. They're kept in air-conditioned, climate-controlled rooms in the Vatican's apostolic palace, which boasts more than 50 miles of shelves, as well as a high-security underground bunker. Oh, that'd be something you see. Something you see. Because, you see, we, we get fake history. and In fact, we're, we're living through fake history. We're making it right now, and it's fake history we're getting. We can tell, oh, the, uh, as you try to say, that Iran's going to attack the world and all the rest of it. And, oh, we've got to get them. They're going to attack the whole world. And we've been through this with every country for years now. As the, ter- the demonize your enemy, and then he becomes solid in your mind as an enemy, and then you don't give a darn when they go and slaughter them all. You know, but the, and at the Vatican, they've got this stuff from the guys at the top from all these countries who were there at the time for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, this article two has to do with how stupid and crazy and mad things are. Remember, now you're looking at uh, the rest of your life under terrorism. I hope you all realize that. I've said that for years. When this comes in, it'll be for the rest of your lives. They're not going to say, "Oh, one day, uh, oh, the world's, all peace, the world's going all peaceful again." And uh, uh, we're, we're dropping it all tomorrow at 4 p.m. Uh, it won't happen. It's never going to, ha- it's never going to happen. They, they need this also to, for the technocratic society where everyone's got to be monitored and, and predictable in your behavior. They're all about this 80 years ago, 100 years ago. This society and this time they brought in upon us all. This is Philip Henshaw. A warship in the Thames is taking security too far. And they've got surface-to-air missiles and an army of 42,000 moving in. Uh, Wellington only needed 68,000 at Waterloo, it says. Security precautions being taken for the Olympics are not only gigantic in their extent, but seem to be increasing every day. It's the inflationary tendency within security advice that should concern us, not its temporary extent. When something shows signs of growing bigger and bigger with no tendency to deflate, it's up to us to question the power these things are acquiring over our lives. The madness of the Olympics is one thing. We should worry about the madness becoming normal. It's normalizing madness, you see. And the security industry taking over our everyday lives. And he goes on about uh, enjoying Lord Coe's most recent statement about the security to be deployed. I thought it all had real comic potential. He said, in case you missed it, that there has been a proportionality here. He says, you don't want people coming to London thinking that they've walked into a siege city. Well, you have. Or it being filmed every 20 paces, which you are, they take, and being bundled off pavements by security guys. It's certainly not what you're going to get uh, legacy, uh, legacy tourism from there's no appetite for risk particularly amusing is Lord Coase promised that people who come to London are not going to be filmed every 20 paces and of course this author actually walked about 20 paces down Clapham High Street and he says you definitely do get photographed hundreds of times walking down <laughs> that little bit there he says let's so take a look at some of these proportional measures and how they have grown in recent months the number of security personnel within the venues is increasing from 10,000 to 23,700 let us not be cynical and suggest that the advice came from people keen to see the 100 metres final and 12,000 extra police and 6,000 soldiers will be on the streets. This is for Olympics. A warship is to be deployed in the Thames. Uh, what against the Spanish Armada? Surface-to-air missiles will be on standby. Let me just write that again. Surface-to-air missiles will be on standby. 
Well, I've been on holiday in some fairly unlikely places, including Khartoum in the middle of a civil war. I amused myself by driving up and down slowly outside the Prudential Palace, where the bored military would salute you if you lowered the window and make the ambassadorial uh, gesture. But this is London. Warships, surface-to-air missiles, an army of 42,000. Wellington only needed 60,000 at Waterloo. What kind of proportionality is being served here? Of course, nobody knows what proportionality means. And what does it mean? It's meaningless. Yeah. It's like stretching an elastic band. How far do you want to stretch it? It, says, it means until the threat emerges and the defensive measures are shown to be grossly inadequate or totally unnecessary. If somebody decides to explode a dirty bomb outside a, cra- a crap Clapham bar tomorrow, make, uh, making the area uninhabitable for years to come, then I don't think surface-to-air missiles will be of much use. On the other hand, if it's the biggest threat turns out to be a nutty jihadi on a soapbox in the commons and surface-to-air options starts to look like a, an expensive waste of time. I mean, you, you, you would cause as much damage using one of the darn things as probably letting something go off. But we're locked in all things that move in the sky. You know, the, the, the javelin thrower or the discus thrower, I'll, I'll throw the darn thing and ping, I'll get locked onto with one of these surface-to-air missiles and you'll see the explosions. They'll probably all applaud, thinking it's, a, it's part of the axe. That's how dumb folk are now, you know. But anyway, it's a security engine industry which now contains some of the largest employers in the world and the military industry with which it overlaps have this in common with other major industries. They constantly need to expand to find new sources of income and enterprise. If they can persuade customers that they require new security measures, however exotic, they will have succeeded in exactly the same way the fashion industry survives by persuading rich women that they absolutely must have an expensive new handbag. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the Matrix and We've got time for a caller. There's Ken online from Fort Worth. Are you there, Ken? Okay, that's good. I don't have much time anyway because I was going to say that I'll be off until uh, next Tuesday, I think it is. And I should really wish you all a good and happy new year, regardless of the circumstances we're going through. At least we're awake, isn't it? something. Technically, by all odds, we should all be the walking dead. And we're not. Which gives us some hope for the future after all, because you gotta understand that these, these waves that are set out against us, it takes sometimes centuries to set up. And all the organizations and the, and the planning and coordination and the, the gradually creeping into our lives through NGOs and various other things. And it takes the same th- way uh, for opponents to it to, to move as well. It sometimes takes a long time uh, to pass the information on, sometimes generations. And people have been passing this information on uh, for generations, those who are awake uh, all throughout uh, uh, the 1800s and the 1900s through the communist era too, read all their books, uh, asked all the right questions. Of course, they didn't get much press coverage in their own countries and they weren't popular because, of course, they understood eventually that your own country was always in on the deal. Anyway, it's a dialectical process. So we're not the first generation to wake up to what was going on. 
although to some who wake up in the middle of your life, you'll think you are the first one, but you're not. This goes on intergenerationally. Uh, and that's why it's taken so long as well for these guys to get as far as they have. Now they are on a roll now, and it's an authoritarian role, uh, that's, so they're not pussyfooting around, around or trying to explain what they're really doing or what they're up to. They're just telling you to shut up, be quiet, and don't, don't be a nuisance, uh, and downright threatening people in, in other ways as well. So it doesn't matter, you've got to keep talking out and, and doing your thing, because freedom is an, it means many things to many people, you've got to understand that too. You've got to find out what you mean by freedom for yourself. And and it does really take a lot of living and let live too. But it doesn't mean that special interest groups can all get together and push their particular little thing onto you either. Uh, you're supposed to get the same tolerance as everyone else is getting. And you know darn well that you're not. The liberal side, what they call liberalism today, which Khrushchev calls, called communism, the liberal side he's, is, is actually completely intolerant if you don't go along with their particular demands and points of view as they elevate special minorities to high positions like special people. Well, under equality, you can't have that. Everyone should be treated the same, not special, you see. So they're completely intolerant. If you don't go along with, with their PC uh, terminology, even they come down on you for that as well. They're completely intolerant. They're such hypocrites. But they think they're educated hypocrites, you see, so it makes it okay. But as I say, this has happened before, down through history, tyrants rise and tyrants fall, and uh, we somehow go on one way or another, we do go on. There's always a lot of damage done in the process because you think how far countries could have gone uh, and how life could really be if it wasn't for those who seek to dominate, always, always dominate and rule and control and usually you like serfs and just tax everything back from you that you earn. Think how life would really be like. But we don't get the chance, you see, because the, the evil ones are in charge. And until you get a real money system, and that means uh, out of the hands of the private bankers for a start, and, uh, and a whole policing system too, to watch just them and test the, all politicians for psychopathy. That should be, a ma- should be mandatory. Uh, then it won't change. All we can do is keep on passing the word out, and uh, and one day, you know, who knows? It could be like Orwell said, way down the road in the future, it may be much, much shorter. It doesn't really matter. It's doing it that matters. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you, and have a good New Year.